Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Press L3 plus R3 to accept the truth. It's VGC, a video game podcast with me, Jordan Midler, Andy Robinson, Chris String, and Ben Starr. This week, Xbox games are coming to PlayStation, or are they? Plus, Ben's here to answer all your questions. But first, how are we, folks? Ben, thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, um, It's a rainy day. To kind of paint a picture, oh, it's isn't, horrible. isn't it a rainy day? It wouldn't be. We wouldn't. We wouldn't be English if the first thing we discussed wasn't how rainy it was. I am not English. It was. I am not English. I, have never I am so deeply so, offended. I am life. so sorry. Where's Cascalian? Get, <laughs> get this podcast back up to a more sorry, Scottish. Let's start that again. Sorry, but we are in England as we speak, yes. and we're having a conversation. So I apologise on and behalf of all Scottish people. Custom. Yeah. <laughs> On the week that mm. the king could believe in us, yeah. and we're talking about this, it's sure about I, 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 I dare not think about it. Mm. Well, we'll see. The last time we were in this uh, lovely country, we had forty or fifty uh, cocktails. Be- yeah, we did uh, between us and we played did. some Time Crisis. Some oh, of the best Time Crisis you've ever seen. Oh, so, are we allowed to name the place where we were at? Is that? I mean, that you can say it if you want. We might get a sponsorship out of this. So we, who knows? Uh, I think believe we were all. At, oh yeah. Um, NQ64. Crush mm. um, String was in the toilets for a long time. No one's saying why, but <laughs> <laughs> he certainly was. Yeah, you know what? It's a time, it's a time crisis free. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, I recently went back with my fiance. We went back to that same. No, we went back to we went to a different NQ64, and uh, we started playing Time Crisis Three. And she uh, is, you know, doesn't play video games that often, but you know, loves going to arcades. Um, she was obsessed with Outrun, couldn't stop getting off Outrun, like mm. was absolutely just needed to finish it. But we decided we were going to play Time Crisis 3 and um, uh, someone or the machine was broken, which basically meant that we didn't have to put any more tokens in. Nice. And we finished the entire game. I, we wow. completed Time Crisis 3 because every time we died, it just let us reset again. Did they Some- send you an invoice afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like three thousand um, pounds, but yeah, I've never finished a time crisis before at an arcade. I don't think I have. No, um, certainly they not. Get really compelling. Yeah, towards it. It's quite yeah. good stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really interesting narrative. Um, the president's daughter's been captured again. <laughs> well, we look forward to Ben's video essay on the the narrative themes of Time Crisis oh, Three coming dive. any minute now. Yeah. Um, Chris, how are you? We've dragged you uh, into this uh, hallowed studio to talk about um, a pretty chill week but how are you apart from that yeah it's been a really relaxed week not a lot going on no not much to talk about it's really been a quiet start to the year for video games <laughs> yeah i just feel like i don't know if, is it is christmas even over is it are we mm. back yet no yeah it's um i'm all right yeah it's been it's been a lot to talk about which um i enjoy talking <laughs> it's really annoying that in this uh, february kind of january february period where we've already had like five or six bangers every week we're just talking about some absolute nonsense um bandy come on it's been good fun this week twice it's been very funny 
Am I allowed to say that? You is are. It, you are. I, am I Come allowed on. to say a bit of short and fraud? Um, <laughs> no, uh, you, uh, I don't know. I've, I've received less abuse than usual. It's like we're, oh, at, the, too busy. we're at that stage of grief, right? <laughs> yeah. but isn't that followed by anger? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm bracing myself. And they are, they are grieving, they are angry over story number one. It could only really be this. Microsoft will update fans on its, quote, vision of the future of Xbox next week, following reports that the company has decided to release more of its games on rival platforms. Um, you could not have missed this, but over the weekend, it was claimed that Bethesda Starfield and the upcoming Indiana Jones game would be released for PS5, in addition to the previously rumoured Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves. Uh, later on in the week, it was claimed by friend of the show, Jeff Grubb, that they could be bringing the Gears of War franchise to PlayStation 2. Look, PlayStation also, not PlayStation 2. Um, Chris String, we go to you. Cats and dogs mating. The sky is falling. Halo is on the PS Vita. How do we feel about it? Wow. Halo on PlayStation. That was like the Sonic moment remember when that first appeared on Nintendo. Um, it is, it is, it, it is, it's interesting. It's actually not that contradictory with Xbox's entire strategy, which has been to be on as many platforms as possible. It's just up until now, they only wanted to go on mobile and PC because that's where they can put their own store, maybe. Or maybe it's where they could put Game Pass. They won't be able to put Game Pass or their own store on PlayStation. So this is a bit of a, uh, this would be a break from that strategy. Um, but, you know... <sighs> There's a couple of things going on, right? People aren't buying that console. Um, Microsoft's vision for the future is happening. Well, it might be happening, but it's happening very slowly. Streaming hasn't taken off. Game Pass is... It had a big spike during the pandemic, and it's sort of... Uh, grow, uh, growth has been slow. I think that's been polite. Um, so their vision, even though that's still their vision, I believe, is just not there yet. And then you've got games like Starfield. 13 million players in three months. Big hit. But then it got to, didn't get in the top 30 in Europe. And it was number 11 in revenue in the US. It's a Bethesda game. Mm. It's normally in the top five. Is there any examples of games that came to Game Pass that still sold like they would do back in the day? Well, yes, but normally from third parties. Like mm. Power World's a great example. Well, we're but, like games um, that are on other platforms. Yeah. And um, Forza Horizon did very well. So the, the, the Forza 5, I think it was. That did very well. But generally speaking, the margin on these games... Must be quite so. Although Game Pass is profitable, Microsoft's profitable. Um, the, I have to wonder if these individual studios, these individual games, are proving to be particularly profitable. So putting them on PlayStation creates that money. But I'm I obviously we have no idea what they're exactly going to announce next week. I'd be surprised if they would damage their console business. Although it is speculate struggling. for us, speculate what they're going to announce. I, if I was going to guess, I would say they're going to announce a load of smaller games, so mm. Hi-Fi Rush, Pentiments, those sort of games. Sea of Thieves is a live service game that makes sense as well. Um, and then if look you know judge how that goes and then that's maybe where we'll start seeing some of the big they're going to have to have some good news for xbox owners though aren't they i mean they come out with an event now that is hugely anticipated they've announced it they're making everyone wait for it they can't just come out and go oh all these hey xbox fans we're giving all your games to, to these people they need to throw them a bone yeah possibly. there was maybe a new piece of hardware but yeah the, the, i um, think they'll announce something just to kind of sweeten it yeah they did call it a business update. That was the uh, key thing. But I don't. But I think they called it. A, I don't think we can read too much into what they called it because I think they're just scrambling to catch up. Right? Mm. Seems to me that there's a lot of. I mean, because you've heard and I've heard, and it seems that everyone's heard that that you know all of these first party games are you know looking into coming to PS5, might be coming to PS5. They've got dev kits, blah blah. I mean, Sea of Thieves was. We were hearing that like last year, right? Um, you know, this has been going on for a while, so. 
I, I, I think, you know, if they had something set in stone, they surely they'd be they'd be announcing that yesterday, yes. the day before yesterday. Do you, do you think this vision of the future? This, I, I mean, when when I saw that, you know, Phil Spencer had tweeted this, for me, it felt very reactionary and not that they didn't have a plan for the future there i the way i saw it was news got out Mm. it spiraled out of control and phil may have been forced to say we're going to bring this announcement further forward because it does seem it doesn't seem particularly sensible that you would have a developer direct which talks about a vision of an xbox future and then three or four weeks have a planned and by the way we're also doing this maybe you would because if it's the end of the financial year um but do you think that this is a response to the furor the furora online and then them saying we'll explain afterwards Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that's a lot of people's beef with Xbox over the last 10 years is that they've always been reactionary, right? Everything feels like a reaction. They're never kind of leading from the front. Which is odd because strategically, I would argue, as a business, they are trying to change the game. Mm, absolutely. Right? And, and that's, 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 that's the funny thing about this is that it's, there's nothing really that should be surprising, right? This is all within keeping of kind of what they've been saying and what they've been kind of building towards for, for you know, a decade now. Do you know what the biggest third-party game on Nintendo Switch is? Minecraft. 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 Right, the biggest third-party game, the biggest game on PlayStation is Call of Duty. Microsoft owned. And in fact, even if you go back to like, even, you know, the, Microsoft always published games on PC when PlayStation and Nintendo would never, would never do that. Um, you remember back in, we're Rare fans in in the first what, six years of Rare being Microsoft Studio, they released more games on Game Boy Advance and DS than they had on the uh, on the Xbox they owned because Microsoft were like, yeah, it's fine. And they've always had that slightly more easygoing attitude to sort of, as long as it didn't compete with what they were doing. And that's the thing we'll see, I think, is is next uh, next week, is they're not going to... Um, not going to try and undermine their business, but they're going to do things that you know make sense. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't put Sea of Thieves on PS5 and P- like, it's on PC, isn't it? On PS5 sooner. Yeah, well, you know, games like that, it makes complete sense. I mean, if anything, it increases the value of the perceived value of Game Pass, right? Like, oh, that's what's going to happen with Call of Duty, and that's what I've been saying for ages. I mean, I play Call of Duty a lot with friends who own PS5s, and when you tell them, oh, by the way, soon you'll just get that as part of a subscription Xbox, they're like, what? Really? Microsoft are not going to be doing this decision because they think they want to make less money. They will, they will, they will have looked at the books and gone, oh, well, absolutely. we have access to all of these things. What is the best financial decision to be making at this time? And how in the next five, 10 years, because they are looking to the future, how can we make the most money out of this? And they see it. Maybe it isn't uh, an Xbox physical box only future. It's an ecosystem that they yeah. are creating. Yeah. And, and to Chris's point, Starfield, if that was on PS5, would have been at the top of the charts, right? Yeah, it would have people been, would have been buying it and people would have been paying mm. it on Game Pass. It would have got better review scores as well it was on PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on from the, that. The, <laughs> ex- exclusivity is, 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 you know, it is what it is. But also when you, you know that you're going to sell fewer copies of a game because it's available in fewer places, yeah. what you're doing is you're saying, if you buy this, we hope that you will also buy the box because this is the uh, of course yeah, it only makes sense it. if you're you're making money from the and hardware that you're it, selling for that, right? Exactly. And the peripherals, etc., etc. The, et the, the positive side of exclusivities, I've always said this, and as few people tweeting about it, I didn't reply to them, but it's is that sometimes people commission games that wouldn't have sold. Like Nintendo, I always use Metroid as an example. It's the smallest franchise Nintendo owned. It must cost a fortune to make. Yet Nintendo always commission it because they know that people buy 
the console to play Metroid, and then that sells more games and sells more controllers. So it's, it's the value of that game is more than the, the sale of the game. But I was so happy when Metroid Prime Remastered came out that I went and bought some shit Switch games. I'm going to buy Arms. <laughs> yeah. and I bought another like a well, Joy-Con. You, you might buy a Switch, yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah. But it does it brings people into the ecosystem, and that's the play. With but it. I mean, we're we're kind of like we're walking a bit further down the path than we're necessarily at right because we all we know is that that you know from what we're hearing that these discussions are going on but it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen it doesn't mean stuff is going to come out on ps5 blah blah yeah. blah so we're, we are kind of walking a bit further down the path than where we're actually at yeah. right now but if that is the case and it's like well we're really bringing out six seven games you know first party games especially like big significant ones like gears one starfield it does feel a little bit like the beginning of the end of an era doesn't it and it's it comes back to do you remember when phil spencer said um that they lost the most important generation to lose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's absolutely true. You can see that, right? Because I was watching a, a video last night, um, the Nate the Hate podcast, um, where um, the chap from Digital Foundry was on there, and they were talking about Switch 2. And they were talking about how after every successful Nintendo console, they basically bring out one and bomb, right? Because they've got to rebuild the, the audience again and, uh, uh, and start from scratch. And Nintendo are clearly very, very aware of that from what they've been saying. And it made me think about that even more because, so Phil Spencer said, you know, because it was the most important, uh, the, the worst generation to lose PS or an Xbox One because everyone built their digital libraries. And I remember that feeling significant as well. When you bought PS5 and you bought a Series X, you turn them on, all your games were there. It didn't feel like other generations at all. It didn't feel like a new clean slate, like a new platform. It just felt like the same one. Yeah. And... And that that comes to Switch as well, right? Where it's kind of like the, the discussion they were having on the, on the other podcast was like, well, do they have to reinvent the wheel, Nintendo, in order to give people another reason to get? Because Switch is the first Nintendo platform where everyone's got their digital library yeah. there. And it, and these things, people are not going to give up their games, right? And what people don't, we don't talk about because it's a very businessy thing. Is what we call network effects, right? So if you've got immediately an audience of people who are just upgrading because they've got their digital libraries, because they're playing, their friends play it, and that causes a cycle of of success. And that's why it's always like begin with it used to be the race to ten million. You get to ten million first, you've got that. You get your mates get it, and your friends friends get it, and whoever is in second or third place, that's where they're going to stay. And and that's the thing. So when PlayStation last year, analysts, including myself, predicted that Xbox would gain market share because, you know, they had the cheapest console. There's, uh, you know, economic uncertainty going on. And, um, and you know, they had a decent lineup of games. Um, and it just it, the opposite happened. They lost it. And um, that was, I think, the biggest sign that Phil Spencer was right. You know, they've already lost. They've been defeated. But the last company that got defeated by PlayStation, I mean, properly defeated by PlayStation was Nintendo at the end of the GameCube generation, they lost. And so Nintendo went, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to do something different. We have to go for audiences and reach people that you know, PlayStation isn't talking to. And the result was Nintendo have now launched five consoles since then, three of them over 100 million units, three of them more successful than the PlayStation equivalent at the time. And and so that's what Xbox should be. I think, you know, they won't be looking to do a Wii, but they should be looking to... <gasps> and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off. I really do. I think they're being forced, you know, one or two generations ahead because that's the future, right? I mean, a PlayStation uh, will do fine because it has that existing audience, as you said, with their friends and their digital libraries. They're going to buy a PS6, you know, for that reason, yeah. like games on it, blah, blah. But at some point, consoles are just going to be an option, right? I mean, yeah. they're already, we're basically there. Yeah. People are already playing but, their games on their Steam Deck or on their PC or in the cloud. And that's only going to get bigger. 
but we're talking about this from a business sense because obviously that's what I do. But I'm also really conscious of the emotional impact of this because I used to be, I was saying before this podcast, I used to be a fanboy. So when I was a kid, I used to be <laughs> what? A, I used to be. A we're proper, always fanboys at heart. Yes, yeah, come on. But I was a proper Nintendo fanboy. I had my N64. I loved it. It was my favorite thing. It was where I hung out with my friends. It was more than just a box under the TV, right? It was. It was. It was what my friendships, the websites I went to, the forums. I, but you know, it was my. It was my home and it was my world. And then, um, and I hated PlayStation. And for no reason, I never blown one. I never played any of the games. I hated it because it was a threat to the thing I loved. So, you know, I was, I loved this thing. I became afraid for its future. And so I hated the thing, you know, it's the Yoda uh, journey. And so when I see this sort of, you know, fanboyism, I think is, is a blight on the industry, but I, I know where it comes from. It comes from this love of um, um, this. Yeah. This uh, I mean, I, I totally empathize with that, you know, as clearly you do, but I do think Microsoft have kind of played up to that to a, to yeah. a dangerous level. Right where I do think to a certain extent you do look at some of the reactions to this and you, you think to yourself, but this isn't surprising. They've been telling you that. But at the same time, they have been kind of doing the the console thing and, and all the rest of it, when really that's not really... It's, it feels a little... When something like this potentially happens, it does feel a little bit smoke and mirrors because it was never about the consoles then. And they were sort of saying that, but at the same time, they're doing the big bombastic press conferences and flying yeah. over all the fans and having breakfast with them and yeah, you know giving people Xbox haircuts. And they've, they've promo- they, The Xbox have done a fantastic job yeah, they have, yeah. of, of promoting a brand. You see green, you think Xbox. Like I, when, when I was at the, the Game Awards this year, I was f- in this very bizarre position where we were queuing up to go in and, and I kind of crossed in front of um, Phil and Sarah. They were all there and um, they were all wearing green. Every They all had hints of green in them and it was brilliant. It's just, it's, it's subtle understanding of the brand that they build and the strength of the Xbox brand has been in its personalities and not just um, like Phil Spencer is just that incredible combination of um, power and availability. It's like he, he is, he is, head and shoulders above you in what he can do but at the same time he could, could come around and like have a beer with you and have a chat you know we, we you speak about that that famous thing where he said we it was the worst generation to lose we remember where that interview was because phil went on personally onto that podcast and said those things and um, I, mean, I spoke to the PR afterwards and, and she was like, you know, he insisted on doing that because, you know, because he <laughs> has, planned. he has that ability and they have that ability to, um, and the way they project themselves, the developer direct, it's all about people first. How do we show the humanity behind all of this? And they've also then promoted these other people up, these, these, um, you know, influencers who believe in the brand, they believe in their football team, essentially. It's mm. like, if you love a football team, you're going to go to bat for them. And you've asked to build a brand around that. And then now what, what these rumors, what these rumors are, is that we're going to, um, to past two years has been the only place to play these is on Xbox. The only place to play them is on Xbox. And now there's rumors that maybe that isn't the only place to play them. It's, it, you can understand how, people have got themselves in an emotional um tailspin about oh, it absolutely um, because these of course this these this is not a sports team no it's a trillion dollar company yeah, yeah. and if sports teams were you know were companies they wouldn't be competing to win yeah. they would be staying mid-table and keeping all the cash in, yeah. in the locker right and their interest is not to make their fans happy it's to make more money mm. It's it's really it's 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 a fascinating thing to look at, and from someone who I, I know not a particular, I've never owned an Xbox. Um, I have always I've been in the PlayStation ecosystem since PlayStation One. Um, 
but I love Xbox games. I go around to my mates and play Xbox games. I've just never owned them because I'm now in the trophy system, right? Like I, that's what yeah. I do. Well, what, I mean, it's exactly to, to Phil's point. Yeah. yeah. Once you, once you're in, I mean, I, um, I had a original Xbox was my, my main console other than GameCube then. Um, I didn't get a PS2 till right till the end of that gen when I started this job and yeah. needed a PS2 to yeah. review games and stuff. 360, best console of that gen. Mm-hmm. Um, and Xbox One. It's so frustrating how they messed up the 360. Right? Uh, well, they were kings uh, coming out of that generation, and then and then it's the hubris. It's the hubris, right? Yeah. Well, like I remember, uh, you you kind of see it. If it wasn't for the digital library thing, that I believe that PlayStation would suffer the same fate because you see the hubris of PlayStation now. But of course, people are just not going to move. But I remember I started working. At, I worked at Bandai Namco for about two months um, it, during just after that gen Xbox yeah. One, PS4. And um, I remember all the talk. It was like, yeah, on 360, we used to show all our games on 360 uh, dev kits. But now we do it on PS4 because the third party team used to be non-existent on Sony, on PS3. And now it's the other way around. Like, mm. you know, Microsoft have got rid of all of that, but the hubris takes things, oh, we don't need that. And, yeah. Yeah. I think the 360 generation is, a, is an interesting one to analyse because I think the 360's popularity, and this may be a controversial thing to say, its success was because it was the best place to play third-party games. It Definitely. It was the place where you'd go. It was, I mean, remember that generation of PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. People were playing your Call of Duties. You were playing all of your multiplayer games with your friends in that ecosystem. And then PlayStation pivoted and went, right, we, no one's going to play third-party games on our... So we have to create... Amazing um, first-party games. Amazing yeah. first-party games. And that is now how the generation has shifted. And, you know, you're looking at people, uh, their losses turning it into their future successes. It's like, how do we change? And PlayStation and, pivoted in that generation. Yeah, well, that's what Nintendo did with the generation before. They, they were hammered at the GameCube. I mean, we've got to go after something new. We've got to we've got to do something to react to it. And that's where the Wii came into it and, um, and the DS and, you know, it, actually Nintendo had to do it again after the Wii U, you know, Apple would come along and eaten their lunch. They went, we need to do something different. And that's where the switch came into it, you know, and, and that's, and that's actually why, you know, we can, it's not a it's failure as um, Ian Livingston, who's a very big investor in video games was, you know, involved in the launch of Tomb Raider. He always says uh, failure is just success work in progress. And if Xbox are going through a, a moment of, um, yes, they're the second biggest games company in the world. Um, and um, and they, if they're going through a period of transition, the result is to be more successful at the end of it. And um, even though it can be a bit upsetting, I think, for I mean, It just fans. doesn't feel like the console, you know, being a console player is, is, is just not the strength that it used to be, right? I mean, even you think about even 10 years ago, you'd have retail placement, right? Mm-hmm. like that's that's a huge advantage whereas now it pretty much doesn't exist you're in there with 14,000 steam games you know that yeah. come out every year that's what you're competing with you're competing with um to, to what you've said many times before not money but time yeah. you're now in the same space as every game big and small you, you know you're not the gatekeeper you can't go oh, we're going to let these you know 20 good indie games on They're, everything's in there together. something like power world as we've seen has absolutely exploded out of nowhere yeah Mm. If you look at the console space in particular, if you look, so, so PS2 sold 150 million consoles and then GameCube and Xbox was around 20 million each, 190 million players. Then you throw in 360 and PS3, that was 86 and 80, so that's about 170 million players. You can include Wii on top of that, but I'd argue that, that Nintendo was going different then. And then the following generation, it's about 190 million players. And this, and you say, actually, the console industry... It's been the same It's been the, the same 90s. size. You know, people are ageing out. People get to the, you know, get older and go, you know, I have time for this anymore. And new people are coming through. Whereas 
So you're, they're all competing for the same level of audience. They're all having to get more money out of the same group of people, which they've very successfully done over the last 20 years. But there comes a point when you just have to find new customers. And the best way to find new customers is to put your games on other platforms. And that's the, the sad thing, really, for the, you know, lots of the Xbox fans who are hurting now, is that that 30 million you know, kind of audience, uh, I think that's the number, the last number, right-ish, uh, owners of Xbox at the moment, that's not the they Microsoft are looking to well there's these guys or there's the hundreds of millions on mobile and PC yeah. and potentially hundreds more on cloud where you know there that's where our value is going to go because again it's not a sports team it's a business we're going to go make our money over there sorry guys well before just before this podcast you were showing us Resident Evil you know four on the on on iPhone right and it's like how long before we're not that far away from iPhones being able to produce those sort of quality games and okay people in the West. People in the UK and US and stuff, we're still going to use our consoles. But for places like India, where there's huge industry, mobile is where you're going to have to put your games if you want to reach them. And that's what Xbox want to do. Yeah. Mm. Well, we will find out soon enough what the plan is. My thoughts and prayers with all the Xbox influencers we've lost uh, during this difficult time. Um, that's what you get. Uh, story number two, Final Fantasy VIII's director says he'd change the junction battle system if it was remade. We couldn't have a better correspondent on this week's Chris episode. String. <laughs> <laughs> Did you change this? Did you add this? Because you knew that I was going to be on. Oh, the second this came on the site, I was like, well, here right. we go. Um, speaking to IGN ahead of the game's 25th anniversary, Yoshinori Katase was asked how he'd improve the game should Square Enix ever decide to remake, uh, give it the same remake treatment as Final Fantasy. Uh, he replied that specifically the stat-focused junction system would be top of his proposed changes. Quote, I think you may remember we had the junction system in Final Fantasy VIII, and the thing about that system was the enemies levelled up in line with what the player's level was. And obviously, you had to then use the junction system and how you customise that and overcome the challenge there. I think it was a very difficult system for some people to get into, depending on player skills. Sometimes they just didn't work out the best way of doing it. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII correspondent Ben Starr, how would you feel about a change to the junction system? And furthermore, do you think we're going to get Final Fantasy VIII and the Final Fantasy VII treatment? Um, I think we are not going to get Final <sighs> Fantasy VIII and the Final Fantasy VII treatment. That's official. If, if you think about how long it's taken them to make to remake Final Fantasy VII, yep. Final Fantasy VIII is a bigger game than Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> it would take 40 it, years. Yes. Um, so the answer to that is no. But it is nice. And th- by the way, this isn't any confirmation. I don't work for Square Enix in that capacity. I know nothing. But I would say no. He's I, winking. He's winking at the I'm camera. Winking. He's winking in the podcast room. Exactly Did you say winking? Doing. Winking. Yeah, okay. No, I, no, I'm also the other thing as well. Um, I, uh, I, I don't think we will. Um, and I get it a lot because I have, I have been very vocal in my um, love for Final Fantasy VIII, we even spoke beforehand about how, you know, we're talking about games that we just hold in huge high regard because they are so influential on our lives. Um, and Eight is that game for me. It's the game that got me into video games in a way that I hadn't been before. It made me see um, the possibilities of what video games could be. And I'm forever thankful for that game for kind of changing my life and introducing me to the franchise. Um, and... I often get people saying, well, it's just actually, technically, it's actually the worst. And I'm going, well, cool, that's fine <laughs> if you don't like it. You know, and I've, I have been very vocal about it. And there have been lots of people who've actually come up um, 
out of the woodwork saying, I also like Final Fantasy VIII. In fact, there I are dozens of other, yeah. other creeps like Chris Scullion. He <laughs> yeah. loves Final Fantasy VIII. Well, I, w- I have recently, uh, alongside Holly Bennett, we have co-written an article in Lo- the next Lost in Cult, the Lock On Lost oh, nice. in Cult, about Final Fantasy VIII and how it's okay to like Final Fantasy VIII now. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you co-write an article? One word each. Paragraph each. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, it's a bit like those things where you fold the piece of paper like that and then just write a sentence uh, one after another. No, we... Um, uh, we basically sat in a room and talked about all the things that we love and then kind of collated it into a thing. And, you know, it's the, it's the creative process. <laughs> Try it sometimes, VGC. It's fun. <laughs> Not for um, us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the junction system. People hate it, um, but I quite like it. I think it's fun. I think people feel it's so different from uh, the systems that they understand before, which is essentially like leveling up, leveling up. But obviously, as they said, when you level up, enemies level up with you. People felt like it's a very easy thing to cheese. It is. You can actually become almost invincible right at the beginning of the game if you know how to do it. Um, the draw system, people didn't really like. If if they were going to remake Final Fantasy VIII... A bit like Final Fantasy VII, they would find a way of refining the system. They wouldn't make a one-for-one remake. And I actually think the junction system, the idea of um, taking spells and then attaching them to various stat attributes, is a really interesting thing to explore. It's not something that you would circumvent. It's something that you would adapt and change and utilize in 2024, 2025 if you were to make it. I think it's really interesting. Of course they change it. They've changed the way that you use... You know, how you, how you fight in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. You'd find a way that takes the junction system and then makes it um, more user-friendly, but also keeps the essence of what that is. And I think it's really exciting. We we level-gate most things in, in RPGs nowadays anyway. Um, so, you know, you're going to have, if you're level 28... It doesn't really matter. If you're also level 28, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to beat something of that. You have to find intelligent ways of of navigating that, and that's what makes for interesting gameplay. And I think the junction system is perfectly teed up for that. So, you know, yeah, why not? I I think don't get rid of it, but adapt it and change it for, for, you know, the 21st century. As the Final Fantasies are, um, if they were to do another remake after 7, what one do you think has the... Obviously... The, the game in that series with the biggest cultural cache is seven. They've done that now. What's yes. number two? And which character would you play? Yeah. Um, Are you going to remake 16? Just remake it, yeah. Remake <laughs> yeah. It Director's yeah. cut yeah. of 16. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, what would I? Um, I'd love to see... I'd love to see um, Final Fantasy four remade Four, okay. i'd love to see one of those games i mean they've already they've already remade it someone will say you've already remade it it's like they have they remade it for the ds um uh, but i would love to see the same remake treatment given to some of the classics which would be really interesting mm. um and uh, a smaller title that doesn't isn't going to necessarily take a huge amount of time people want six i was at a recent masterclass with yoshinori Kitase, and someone said when are they going to remake six and he was basically like we're not you know because it's <laughs> is, just is that too- one where he said it would take 10 years to- <laughs> yeah. yeah because these games this they were able to create the scope of these games because they were we were talked about you know the way in which you had the beautiful kind of like painted backgrounds and you could create scope that you could imagine it was like reading a book almost. the blueprint sort of yeah. there right yeah and and now i think just how difficult it is to recreate those scales is best exemplified in what will become the final fantasy 7 remake trilogy you know if people want triple a 
expansive, open-world, exciting, dynamic gameplay from these old games um, that were working with their own within their own constraints. The constraints of what video games are now is massively different. I do wonder if they might actually go and remake some of the, like eight and nine and ten, because I mean, you look at the, the kind of I mean, you'll be able to talk more to this, Chris, from a business perspective, but. They're in that cadence now, aren't they? Like, they have a new Final Fantasy, then mm-hmm. they have a Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1, they have another new Final Fantasy. That's, it's almost it's the Capcom uh, kind of um, rhythm that they're in, right? They have mm-hmm. a new Resident Evil, then they have a remake. And, have new... and to your point, it's easier to make those in theory because you have the blueprint already, you have the characters, you have yeah. the world. And um, now you've got the engine. But obviously, they're, they're much, much bigger scope, those games, than a Resident Evil-style linear action game. But what do you, what do you think they'll do that, Chris? Um, I think they probably will, but they're going to get diminishing returns, right? It's like, like Resident Evil when they did two, and then and then four. You've done it now, right? Um, <laughs> because as much as the other games are great, they're never going to you're never going to hit those sort of sales numbers. And but um, even if you don't, it's just like it's something for them to keep busy with, right? Yeah, but I guys, go and do it's that. What, it's what you said with Final Fantasy. You know, you can sit there in Resident Evil two, up Resident Evil three, and Resident Evil Co-Veronica, and you could probably knock that out in eighteen months with a relatively small team and 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 make some make some decent money on it. I don't know how if you can do that with Final Fantasy. Um, I think that's a lot harder. To, they do um, have. They do have. Um, obviously, we've got. I mean, it was announced a couple of a couple of years ago. Is the Dragon Quest three HD two D remake that they're doing? And obviously, with Octopath Traveler two, which I do think is one of the greatest games of last year, um, go and play it if you haven't. Um, the, I think the art style of Octopath Traveler is amazing. What they can do and how you can have something that seems. We, again, we said it, it's how you remember these games being. Octopath feels incredibly current, but also has that nod to nostalgia. And I think if you're going to remake a lot of these games, and they did it when they, maybe I think it was the six pixel remaster, where they remade the opera scene in that kind of HD 2D style, at least alluded to it a little bit. If you were going to remake those games, it might be interesting to do it in that way. Yeah, and, and that depends on who you're going for, right? So if your plan is, oh, we're going to remake this game because we want to get the people who bought it last time around to buy it again, you don't actually have to do too much because people want, I think, you know, you want that thing where you want the game, it needs to be remade, but as long as it feels like it, they remember it, then that's fine. So you just sort of take, you have to be relatively... It's like Metro Prime Remastered, right? Yeah. It's pretty much sold what the original did. Yeah, and it is, Metro Prime Remastered is a lot better than it, but it feels like, actually, this is what I remember even though it's obviously mm. a lot better. Whereas if you're doing Resident Evil 7, I think the ambition for 7 was so much bigger. Same with 2, actually, Resident Evil 2 and uh, Final Fantasy 7, is the ambition was so much bigger than just talking to all the people that bought these games back in the 90s. I think it was about bringing in new people and introducing them to that story because there was a lot of, you know, you don't, those, the budgets for those games wouldn't have been far off um, the full AAA release. So, um, and obviously they did massive numbers as well. So it depends, but I, you know, I think problem with final fantasy i think seven is the um um is the one right it's the one that it does it does feel like multi-platforms the way for them going forward doesn't it i mean they've got the new uh the new ceo who's come in they're you know supposedly uh rethinking all their pipeline and uh, you know allegedly multi-platforms a big part of that and it kind of needs to be right if they're making those games they need to be on everything mm. yeah but that's just playstation now isn't it isn't that just well, but they, they, they don't release them. Xbox is dead. They do eventually. Which seems mad. Uh, eventually, yeah. But that's a that's a, a weird situation. People, especially with the, the new Switch, is more capable. You know, later this year, yeah, you can include that as well. Yeah, 
I was waiting for a Crystal Chronicles. Did they do a Crystal Chronicles remake? I was going to make that joke. They, remastered, they remastered it and it did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Final Fantasy guy at all. Yeah, um, I'm really nostalgic for that game because it launched with GBA SP, did it? It launched because I've got because um, when it when GBSP came out in in Japan, they launched a uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles GBASP like mm-hmm. it's a pearl. Looks like it's made of pearls, like a white one. So I've got that, and I've got the game never been played like with like you know nice little. <laughs> yeah. What well, so as you, I mean, we've had this conversation before about you not being a Final Fantasy fan. What is it to you that is not attractive to it? Is it just the voice actors mostly? I think I've missed the boat now. Yeah. Because um, you mentioned earlier you're playing the new Like a Dragon, which I really want to play. Yeah. I just like, I haven't even finished Prince of Persia yet. It just, the, the more I go, the, the, it keeps going. The game won't Prince end. Of Persia is, it, Prince it, of Persia, it, it's Lost Crown, is like Elden Ring, where it just keeps getting it keeps bigger, going. And bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? I just want you to open end the map now. and there's like a whole extra yeah. like pirate ship section. And yeah. you're like, what's going on there's here? There's that like, bit where you just see the extra bits that are really far away on the map. <laughs> and you're thinking, how the <laughs> am I going to get there? I've just fallen on the, the opposite train tracks, right? It just in my 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 age my timeline. Um, I wasn't a big PS One guy, mm-hmm. so I miss all those games. The only games I really played on PS One is like you know Resident Evil, Sun Hill games, and probably a couple of others. Um, so then you get to GameCube, original Xbox. You're not playing Final Fantasy on those. No. Then you're on 360. You're not playing Final Fantasy on those. And Excuse now me, a, Final Fantasy 13 on Xbox 360. Yeah, like come tons on, later. Yeah, like <laughs> and again, like this, they're not. The onboarding's not great by yeah. that point. Come and play Final <laughs> Fantasy Thirteen too. Like, yeah. what? The so, messaging is so are... difficult with these games because I think, you know, when we were talking, when we, did, we were doing the press for Final Fantasy Sixteen, I was amazed at how many times I would be asked, do I have to have played the other ones? Now, for me, as a fan of Final you Fantasy, know that they're I go, all original well, stories, what yeah. a stupid question. Why are you asking me that? And then I take for granted, actually, that... I'm so in the weeds. Of course I know that. And why would a person who's taken no interest in this franchise, unlike me, who's like, has a forensic interest in this franchise. Um, and you're talking about onboarding. And when you have a series that is increasingly going, you know, 13, 14, 15, and then doing offshoots of that, it's very difficult to message that this is essentially an anthology series. Um, and I think them cashing in on the power and the nostalgia it is a nostalgia cash-in of seven. They just happen to be excellent video games, but they are banking on the people who have played these games, loved these games. You know, this is this is the game that celebrities played when they were younger. This is the game that Robert Pattinson said that this moment was the most important thing. This is what, uh, you know, is it Nia DaCosta spoke about it with, when talking about the Marvels, which she directed. Like, these, these are filmmakers who make films now played final fantasy 7 so it's cashing on that nostalgia and then trying to say guess what have the experience that we all had when we were kids now and get new people in and that's what they're trying to do now can they do that with another game i don't know i watched hmm. um i watched advent children though <laughs> Loved so that it. was a nice entry point I don't yeah, really weirdly, remember it, to be honest. weirdly enough i found out like i was not a final fantasy guy until 13 weirdly enough but before that i saw action figures of Cloud and Forbidden Planet in Glasgow and I was like yeah. that is the coolest motherfucker the in the world it's, it's, I just want to play as culture, him right? yeah. that game is pop culture I'm nostalgic for those characters yeah. and those theme, themes uh, 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 because it's, it would have been part of it's in every yeah. magazine it's on every video and I would say when, when kind of listing the top most iconic characters in all of video games I reckon Cloud would make it easy. Easy. I think the silhouette alone. I mean, the Absolutely. silhouette of those. Of that, I think it's probably one of the most iconic casts of all time. You could be the silhouette of every single character and know who they are because they're so of an archetype. Um, 
And I think, you know, you've got, you've obviously got Mario, you'd have Sonic, but I do think Cloud would be there. And, it, and again, list. coming from someone who's, who's doesn't play these games, probably my favorite E3 moment, and I was in the room, was the, the remake trailer. Oh, yeah. When it, again, it was all silhouette, wasn't yeah, it? And yeah, everyone yeah. went insane. Hip hop gamer standing up, spending his time. Uh, you will never ever top as a trio <laughs> Last Guardian, Final Fantasy VII remake, I was, Shenmue 3. I was sitting on back, back then, the PlayStation was in as like a stadium thing, they, that press conference. Were you at the and, top, were you? Well, no, you had this, you had this, if you said you're a journalist, they stuck you in like some seats. But if you said you were a blogger, I never understood why. They gave you a table with power and i found this out a couple of years before so i said i always said i was a blogger and i got yeah. this table and i was next to this guy when final fantasy 7 was announced and we're british so we're always a bit like oh yeah that's pretty cool um but the guy next to me kicked his chair back <laughs> he fell to his knees and held his hands and he went oh my god oh my god and i was sitting next to uh, my boss at the time i just looked at each other and went <laughs> but it was it was it was it was intoxicating that that atmosphere mm. around that announcement because was, also they they ba- they bank on other people's excitement for something getting you excited for it you know the, it does like I feel that like yeah. vicariously I do, I feel that like even uh, the summer game fest last year the Final Fantasy sixteen event they had were, were you at that right yeah the, the big where they had the it was like a yeah. movie lot right like yeah a yeah, campus yeah they, or they did the whole thing the it was mad thing. yeah like I was just there like just enjoying the the electricity I suppose the purpose of that sort of marketing and it works is to go this. This is an amazing club. This is an amazing experience. Come and be a part of it. Look how much it's affected these people. Come and join in. And, you know, it's not Some people are going to feel excluded because they're going to feel like, well, you really care about it. Yakuza being one of them. We spoke about it beforehand. I started playing it like a dragon um, seven because people loved it so much, but I could see it as an entry point to get into the franchise. Cause I understood term. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I've gone, well, this is amazing, but it's how do you convert those people into it? And I think, you know, you're, when we're like getting it a little bit back to Final Fantasy, it's like, how do you draw more people into it? Let's see, we're about to go under. Final Fantasy VII is one of the most important video games of all time. Um, and they are banking on that being a thing. And by all accounts, it's going to be, a, uh, from what I've played so far, it's a great video game, you know? So um, I'm excited to see how well it does. Um, I think it's an expensive endeavor, but one that's worth worth you know mm. doing because they know that people love final fantasy 7 do you know what else is nice as well as someone from the outside is that who want i feel like i want to get involved that community around final fantasy just seemed really nice as well like there's not it's not doesn't come with a lot of the baggage that you get from other fandoms right like i know uh, quite a few people who run kind of final fantasy big rpg sites or final mm. fantasy fan sites and it just seems lovely yeah yeah i think with all there are there are going to be um and there are going to be people who uh, are very passionate in certain ways. I think the one one thing I've recognized is in this anything, Final Fantasy included, Resident Evil, anything. Um, people want you to love their franchise the way that they love it. So the people who sometimes can um, add a bit of toxicity is if they see someone mishandling that franchise and not loving it the way that they love it. If you come in and you take it for granted, you know, I was so worried starting saying I am Clive in Final Fantasy 16 because I, I was worried that people would go, well, you don't love this franchise in the way that I love this franchise. Get out. And actually... People have been lovely, and my experiences have been really, really wonderful with the entire community. Um, and I feel very lucky to be a part of it. Um, but you know, you're always going to get people who, yeah, of course. Them. I just feel like, say, for example, there are a lot of other franchises that if you overhauled them in the way that in, in Final Fantasy 16, where it's kind of a very action orientated, mm-hmm. I understand. 
that would cause uproar in a lot of other franchises yeah. where what i've seen the reception to the game is that some people are it's not for me i prefer you know kind of more traditional but they're not like throwing rocks at anyone you know they're not it, burning it does help if you've got a final fantasy 7 just on your doorstep around the of course there. yeah yeah you're right yeah, yeah they're servicing both and it's the same with with capcom i guess yeah. we have a preview of final fantasy 7 rebirth on the website go and check that out uh, after the break we have a lot of questions for ben we've got them in the hot seat so we'll see you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we are back. Ben, are you ready? No. The VGC maniacs have come out in their literal dozens to okay. ask questions of you. Um, a lot of these questions you'll be shocked to know are Final Fantasy related. No way. Writing on games, friend of the show, oh. Big Hamish Black himself asks, it's very important that I get Ben's take on Final Fantasy fifteen, Prince yeah. is one of the best. What do you think of Final Fantasy thirteen? And remember, we have a lot of questions 15, here. Fifteen, uh, fifteen, not thirteen, fifteen. I can't I, do Roman numerals. I had a great time with fifteen. Um, I know a lot of people say it wasn't finished on launch, but I, I know I'm, I'm fully into Final Fantasy. So on the day that it came out, I bought the deluxe edition. I watched Brotherhood the night before. Nice. Kingsglaive <laughs> on the day that it came out, as Final Fantasy fifteen was loading onto my PlayStation four, and I mainlined that game in like three weeks. You know, I was there in the Pityos dungeons, like going and just going deep into the weeds. Um, I love it. I love it. I think it has its quirks. Um, you know, now there's the more definitive version of it. Um, yeah. It's more, it's more playable. There's more, you know, you can switch between characters, which people seem to enjoy. Yeah. I, I love 15. And also I think a lot of people who it got a lot of people into the franchise who hadn't played it before. Mm. And so I can kind of be thankful for that because I know a lot of people who will come up to me being like, I didn't play Final Fantasy before 15. And that's kind of nice, you know, that someone has played your game because of another game. So I'm kind of thankful for that. Top five, middle five or bottom five? Um, oh, that's a very good question. I would say middle five. Mm, fair. Um, another very Final Fantasy related question for all of us. Uh, you go first, Ben, uh, from Andrew Marmo. Tango or Fanta? Oh, what a good question. Mm, that's, um, tough. that's tough. Am I, what am I having it with? I'm going to say tango. Is that orange tango, yeah? Yeah, that's the, yeah. That's the thing, actually, because if you can get an apple tango, if that's yeah, still tango, apple, be the one. that's yeah. the stuff. Yeah. Apple tango at the cinema. Chris, what are you talking? Fanta or tango? Oh, I'm not... It's not neither of my favorite. European Fanta. Fanta or British Fanta. Oh, American Fanta, the neon American shit. The, the stuff that's that, like I think bright that's orange. A bit like the European ones, bright orange as well. Yeah. I think I go Fanta. I'm not... But it's not neither of my... Neither would be my Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go American Fanta. Fair. Am I the only one who said tango? 
I would go. I would go apple tango if we're doing. If we're going through the yeah, entire. Yeah, I go apple tango. If we're allowed to pick the flavour. Yeah, all right. I'll go lilt then. The... We're just picking things that we like. <laughs> but it's still tango. Dr yeah. Pepper. Yeah. Uh, Monster, <laughs> please sponsor this podcast. Um, Rosalie asks if you were offered the chance to audition for the proposed FF8. Uh, remake confirmed who would be your ideal character uh, bonus points for anyone besides squall as that seems too obvious according to yeah I'd, ne- I'd also never play squall I, d- I think people are very kind they think because i played a protagonist in final fantasy 16 i'm right for squall i'm not right for squall um i'd love to play laguna i've said that on a couple of occasions i think laguna is a very cool character um and uh yeah i know there's um there's an actor called uh damien haas um, and I know that he's always tweets about how he wants to play Laguna. So shout out to that. I know there's lots of other brilliant, brilliant voice actors who want to, sorry, who want to play Squall. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would, I would love to, but I think the pressure of being, of taking a beloved character and having to voice it is, is quite a lot. That's why I give a lot of shout out to the seven remake actors who've done an amazing job of kind of making it seem like they voiced those characters forever. Um, but there's a huge responsibility taking, taking that and voicing a character that people have such an attachment to. Mm. Um, um, Matt asks, when you finish an acting job like Clive, how easy or difficult is it to move on from a character you have such a personal attachment it's to? It's not. It's not. It's actually, this has been the hard, I mean, I'm right, I'm here right now talking to you because <laughs> yeah. of it, right? It, it's going to follow me for the rest of my career. And, um, you know, we're still not done there is still DLC to come out, mm. you know, that when this was over, it wasn't over. Um, so that it's, it's a character that I feel very fortunate to have been a part of creating from the outset. That's what I feel really lucky. And I feel so fortunate that he's been a leapfrog into an industry that I don't just enjoy being a part of. I have a deep, deep interest in the way that it works. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And I'm hopefully we'll get to do more things in the future. Mm. Um, but I, I will, I will forever be thankful for having had the opportunity to play that character. Uh, Jordan Medler from VGC asks, um, if I hate that guy. If, I hate uh, look, he's a, he's, Go a, away. he's a big troll. Um, if Clive is in the next kingdom hearts game, mm-hmm. no questions asked. You do it. Would I do it? Yeah. No questions asked. I, I mean, that is the most leading question you could possibly... I Why first, would you turn down I, Clive in King I, I would I would say this. If anyone asked me to do Clive again, I would jump at the chance. Mm. You know, that would be my answer. I would, of course, I would... I feel such a personal attachment to him, as I said. And so if someone said, we would like Clive to be involved in whatever thing, I would go, yes, please, let me do it. Because I feel... A responsibility <laughs> to do that. Good, and that was the sound of a million news articles coming out of this Fantastic. podcast. Yeah, Ben Starr confirms not, Kingdom I Hearts. I have not been even remotely approached about Kingdom Hearts at all. Cut that. Back. I haven't heard at all. <laughs> um, speaking of other voice actors, Cyanide. I wonder if that's his Christian name. Asks, could Ben take Troy Baker in a fight? No. Have you seen him? Is he? Built? I've never seen him in real life. Is Troy he a Baker. Big guy? Troy Baker is a very tall man, mm. and also he is very. I mean, do you just go for the shins? No, I think <laughs> Troy, I also think Troy, he, first, very lovely man. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice man. Indiana um, Jones himself. It, the Indy himself, yeah. Um, uh, he's so he's so tall. I had a picture with him um, with Gary Witter at the, uh, at the, at, uh, the Golden, Golden Joysticks. Joysticks. Yeah, and uh, people just kept going, God, Ben's so short. And I went, no, <laughs> I'm not short. I'm, I'm distinctly average height. Just Troy Baker is a very, very tall man. <laughs> Um, I think because, you know, he is he is an actor who has a great 
uh, everyone has a great re- great relationship with the body of work that Troy Baker has done. So there's always going to be an aura around him. But when I was around him, I was like, you are quite impressive. You are quite an impressive person. Mm. Um, so yeah, he'd, um, I'd let him stab me any day of the week. <laughs> his character in Death Stranding 2 looks absolutely mental. I would let him... I would let him electrocute me with his guitar. Naturally. Um, have you been offered to go and get your uh, body scanned by Hideo? No, I have not. No. You sh- I bet you he'd be up for no. that. I don't wear enough belts for that. <laughs> <laughs> he would add you to his collection of yeah. uh, actors he has. It's, it's a lot of actors and it's churches. Um, Chris Drink, could you beat Troy Baker in a fight? Because I'd put my money on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't even. <laughs> it's always the quiet ones. <laughs> Suffocate him while he sleeps. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Troy Baker could do a Mario like you can. No, no. I don't no. think anyone can. I yeah. It was a weird. It was that was a weird moment in time because people still believe that I might be. I actually bumped into <laughs> Doug Bowser at the at the uh, the Game Awards, and, and he was, just threw a big fireball. He, at you. he just yeah. like it's me. <laughs> it's a me. It's a Mia. A Mario. <laughs> I uh, I um I when when we went out uh, just before Christmas, and um, I told my wife that um. Uh, like, yeah, it's like Ben Star was there. Yeah, I don't know if you know who is he. He's in the Mario guy. <laughs> the Mario guy. Yeah, I, is he the spotlight guy? <laughs> I've been referred to as. I mean, because I'm just kind of this apparently this walking meme machine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You'll you won't really know me from Final Fantasy. You'll know me from the nonsense <laughs> that I did online. I'm going to PAX. Uh, PAX in Seattle. I was just mad because I was given so much Mario stuff because it was Nintendo, <laughs> it was Nintendo, it was Nintendo Live there and yeah, we were yeah. actually allowed into it. We got to sneak into the back of Nintendo Live and go and experience it because of the video that we did. Like the Nintendo marketing people thought it was very fun and let the cast of Final Fantasy 16 walk around Nintendo Live. Mm. I was, you know, I was in a queue for, so I, my company runs PAX, the company I work for. So I was like, I had to queue up and you got in through the back. I had to queue up, I had to queue up with Shue Yoshida yeah. and Phil Spencer in, yeah. in to get in and you just got a backstage pass. Yeah, but you heard you, what I did just then. That was astonishing. Yeah, of course, come, on, yes. come on, Chris. It's, it's, incre- it's, incre- it's incredible. I, I'm really pleased I did that. I did that. Um, I thought about it. I recorded it. I edited and I uploaded that in 17 minutes. <laughs> I, and I, it's like the, the, the craziest, most inspired 17 minutes of my life. Mm. So. How often did your missus walk in? Were you having that camera in the exact same spot every time and be like, she Jesus does, Christ, she does find again. it amusing. She <laughs> didn't see the one I did the other day where I dressed up as Tifa. And um, <laughs> she actually had to have a friend go, so what do you think of Ben dressed up as Tifa? And she went, what? What's he done now? <laughs> um, so yeah, like she doesn't... Uh, I, I think she'd prefer not to have so much of our house uh, placed on the internet. Uh, <laughs> have so many props just kicking around. <laughs> yeah, but I have had people come around to the house and go, oh, that's what it looks like from this angle, and that's where you do the thing, and that's where you mm. do the thing. So, yeah. So, video game heritage tour spot. Yeah. Um, next question from Ricky. Uh, hey, Ben, I'm very excited for the first Natural Six campaign. I love D&D, but I've never been able to complete a, wrong, a long-running campaign, only one-shots. Uh, do you have a favourite campaign or one-shot you have ran? No. Because I'm pretty new to this. Mm. Like, this is this is us diving in. Tell, so. tell us a little bit about Natural Six for for the video game audience that might not be super familiar. Uh, Natural Six is a D and D actual play that we I've started with uh, some friends and colleagues. Uh, we'll be recording our first like proper episode one episodes at the end of this month, and we'll be letting them out. You know, soon after. 
um, and it's me and five other people from the video game world. Um, there is Doug Cockle, the voice of Geralt of Rivia. Oh, um, it's DM'd by um, Harry McIntyre, who's the voice of Noah in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, we have Aoife Wilson from Eurogame. Mm. Voice of Aoife Wilson. Voice, from the voice of Aoife Wilson, from the voice of every Eurogamer uh, video you've ever seen. Um, Holly Bennett, who's previously a PlayStation Access and now works at Frontier. Um, Alex Jordan, Mr. Hands in, in Cyberpunk. Um, have I missed anyone out? No, I don't think I have. Um, and yeah, we decided we were going to do this thing. And Harry is an amazing dungeon master and he's come up with this amazing world. And we've created this group called Natural Six. We'll be streaming on Twitch. Um, and yeah, why not? Why not? If I get to play in this sandbox, play in inventive ways, I've always wanted to do a long, I've always wanted to play D and D. Yeah. I've always wanted to. Um, and I just haven't had the friends to do it. And um, I nor have I had the dungeon master capable of doing it because um, that's the thing. Like you need somebody that's actually going to keep keep the yeah. keep the train on the tracks because otherwise yeah. it would just be. I've only played it once in my in my life, and um, it was a very hot summer's day in Scotland, and I suddenly had found myself having drank uh, twelve cans of Strongbow Dark Fruits mm-hmm. after about two hours. So it became. It's, it's like as improv we are pals and I'm a former yeah. theatre kid so it was the greatest you, fun you get to create something from nothing and I will say just the kind of bit of a, the cool sales pitch that we've kind of come up with is we have this uh, very unique mechanic called the deck of many friends which is that in moments of dire need let's say you roll a natural one or um, the, an enemy rolls a nat 20 we have created something which is 22 individual cards with characters that have been created by people from the D and video game world and they have rolled a d20 and they the character that they have created which is drawn drawn by our, our character artist also have a number on there and we can choose to call from the deck of many friends and the the, the ghosts of fallen heroes that we call <laughs> will come and it will replace that role and so we have people we have sam lake who we've announced who's created a character oh, nice. in that and we have called upon a lot of our friends from you know, high, very high profile in D&D and the video game world to create individual characters that are exclusive to this deck that we will be using in our campaign. And it's quite cool who we've got. And we're very excited to, over the next month or so, announce the people who have created characters exclusively for our campaign. Mm, that, is, that is very cool. It's, it's, a, good, it's, a, it's a good concept. Um, is it not cheating having like three voice actors doing it? Come on now, that's your bread and butter. Surely the people that aren't voice actors are feeling like they're they're getting shortchanged here. Do you want to get on? Is that what you're saying? I mean, who says I'm not a voice actor? Give you me any role got, and I could do it. I reckon you could. I, I was, Mario, go. Hello, I'm Mario. Uh, <laughs> Will's Peach. Let's yeah. go on with us. So that is about as convincing as what my most. It's, it's, it's about being. You, you, you don't want to overact, you know. This yeah. is This is for the screen. This isn't for the yeah, cheap it's, seats. It's like this close in with the camera. Yeah. I don't do theatre anymore. Come on no. now. I only do this. That's a very highly lucrative podcast. Uh, next question. We will go from uh, Ryan Easby. This is a question I bet you're not allowed to answer. Uh, would you want to see a potential Final Fantasy 16 2? Would I? Um, again, you're probably not allowed to answer that. Yeah. I mean, any, anything, I, anything I say, whether I have or haven't heard anything about any of those things, will be taken in a million different ways. So... Um, I think Final Fantasy 16 was written to be the game, mm. what it was. You know, it, the way it ends is the way that it ends. And people said they wanted to see more of the story. So, you know, uh, Yoshi P has created some DLC. And I think that's where it goes, you know. Mm. Uh, let's see how people feel at the end of the Rising Tide when that comes out. How would we have um, covered that on the trades back in the day, Chris, that response? 
Um, refuses to deny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was my my, my favourite example of a non-story. It was uh, when um, I got called up by B and Q, right? Because they called me up, and it was a, it was the PR B and Q saying we're thinking of making a Wii game. Uh, I remember that everyone made a Wii game. Jamie Oliver made a DS game or stuff. Yeah. What, in B&Q? B&Q. We're working with make a B&Q game. Basically, to, I don't know, how to put up a shelf, I don't know. And who would we talk to development-wise? And I went, I don't know. Um, and I gave him some suggestions, put down the phone. I told my boss, your former boss, Tim Ingham, I told him that uh, B&Q on the phone, they want to make a game. He went, story. Right? <laughs> wow. And I just went, okay, all right. So I put this story up. It was a picture of B&Q, being, introducing B&Q the game. And my designer emailed B&Q and said, can I have a picture of the shop for the thing? And why? We're doing a story about you making a game. And B&Q called me up and said, it was just a PR guy just spitballing some ideas. It was, it was not a pitch. It's not a plan. B&Q mm. management hasn't played. There's nothing to do this. And I said to Tim, it's not true. They're not making a B&Q game. And he went, just put they denied it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was on the front page of the magazine I worked on at the time, being introducing B and Q the game, whole thing about the game and the Wii and how successful it's been. And the last line was B and Q said they're not making a game. <laughs> what was the what was the subheading? Was it can they do it? Oh come on! <laughs> oh, I dream of a day where we can do jokey subheads, but you know, that's it. No, no, I'm so ask, ask him. You're a respectable man is sitting right there. Don't you don't look at me? Yeah, I can feel he's clear. Leave the jokes for this, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you can be very intimidating sometimes. You know that. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, should see our bloody slack. Anyway, so let's go for our last question um, before we get to our competition we have this week. Uh, a lot of these questions are pish, folks. Let's do this one. Um, would you come back to do background voices for another Final Fantasy game? Like, if you if they were like, oh, come and do a couple of villager voices, a couple of shopkeepers, would you do that? Yeah, or is yeah. that now below? Yeah. So would, no, I mean, I, I think that. Uh, there are yeah everything's below me now lead lead or nothing um i think that if someone said do i want to do that yeah what a fun thing it's it's great to be involved and as an actor you want to work right um and i got to do a particular voice for clyde that's what people know but i can do more than that um and i know that there are other actors i imagine i think ray chase has done stuff in in seven remake and i think why not Yeah. yeah Sounds cool. Um, give me a, a merchant voice. No, I'm not going to do that for you. You've got to pay me a lot more money than that. Give me a pound for a merchant voice? No, nah, I'm good. Okay. You've got to save it for the game. Welcome. I don't want to give it away. Stranger. Yeah. yeah there we go. <laughs> what are you buying? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, doke. We have 10 codes for Lysfanga, the Time Shift Warrior, to give away. Uh, you just need to email podcast at videogameschronicle.com with the answer to this question. Okay. Oh, cool. Final Fantasy XV was originally announced under which name? Thank you very much. That was... It's a good thing I didn't share that anecdote during the podcast, <laughs> which I was going to talk about. I was in the room. Yeah. Email podcast at videogameschronicle.com with the word Ben in the subject, and then I will find it. It's going to be fastest finger first. The, these codes are on Steam, um, so if you don't have something that uh, plays Steam, well... I don't really care. Get it's up. Just an Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> the fact. Like look, come on. Xbox has had a tough week this week. Uh, um, I don't like. Well, here you are giving out Steam codes, mate. Well, if, if Xbox want to provide codes for this podcast, then they're more than welcome. I to. imagine they don't <laughs> provide PS5 codes. You can send your comments, <laughs> questions, and concerns to podcast at videogameschronicle.com. We'd like to thank the great Grant Kirkhope for use of the VGC podcast theme. Ben, what are you up to for the rest of the day? Oh, 
what am I doing? Um, absolutely nothing with my time. Mm. Nothing with my time that I can legally tell you that I'm doing with my time. Oh, fell yeah. in the blanks, folks. Yeah. Straight to Nintendo. Straight. Yeah. Just do, working on the new Mario. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> um, no, I'm just, I'm hanging out, coming to see you guys and then probably just going to go and relax. Oh, yeah. Bat more uh, like a dragon. That's what it's going to be. I'm going to be uh, taking uh, pictures of sickos on the tram. That's what I'll be doing. Well, that's also my plan, but actually just on the London Underground. Say goodbye, Andy. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Chris. See you later. Say goodbye, Ben. Goodbye. And we'll see you next week. VGC, a video games podcast, is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.